Welcome to the Next Level Podcast. You are about to hear an inspirational message from one of our youth services. It is our prayer that this message brings encouragement and a blessing to your life. To find out more about Next Level Youth, visit us on the web at palaceofpraise.com or on Instagram at Next Level Youth Group. Okay, so the past couple weeks I've been like reminiscing which I, t- I kind of preached against that a couple weeks ago. Like, you remember, not against the thought of it, but against, like, romanticizing it. But anyway, I've been thinking about my, my past, like the past 12 years. I've been out of high school. 12 years I graduated high school in the great year of our Lord, 2009. What a year. And that's been 12 years ago. And, man, I started to think about my life and I've went through things that I didn't think there would ever be a day that I had to go through. I've done things, incredible things, that I never thought I'd get a chance to do, uh, things I never imagined. I've been through a lot of highs in my life, a lot of incredible moments, but man, I've had some lows that I could have never seen coming. And so I've been thinking about my past, and I've been praying about um, what to say here on the senior night, and this is, or freshman in college night, the this is um, for them, but it's also for you. I believe this sermon is also for you. And tonight, I, the word I kept hearing in my spirit was simple, and that simple word was joy. That's what I heard over and over again. So I want to talk to you tonight about joy. Say joy. Joy. Joy, joy, joy. Even though life is full of ups and downs, highs and lows. No matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, we can have joy. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you can have joy. True, genuine joy that only comes from Christ Jesus. Every word I just said is key. True, genuine joy that can only come from Christ Jesus. If you were to look in the dictionary, this is how it would define joy. Joy, it says, is this. Pretty simple. A, great, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Now, here's the problem with that definition. And I, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it, maybe you're listening right now and you won't be listening later, so I'll go ahead. But... People who don't know Jesus, I say this with confidence, don't know joy. They've never felt joy. Because I want to tell you something. Joy is not just a feeling. I would even say it's not really a feeling. It goes beyond feelings. But the word in the definition of joy that is given, it is having great pleasure or happiness. Here's the problem with happiness. Look up the suffix, the first three letters of happiness, H-A-P, which derives from the, this, uh, let me go back, rewind. The suffix hap in happiness, where we see the words happenstance, happens, stuff like that, means luck or chance. So what that saying is, is that you just happen to have happiness out of luck or chance, but I don't believe that's what true joy is at all because happiness isn't consistent, is it? 
Feelings. We preached about feelings last year at the beginning of the year. Faith over feelings. Anybody remember that? Feelings do this. We can't trust them. They're unstable. Happiness is unstable. But God's word says this. Philippians 4.4. We'll read it again later. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 3.1. Rejoice in the Lord. So how is this even possible? How is this possible? How are we supposed to have joy? How are we supposed to have joy no matter what? Regardless of our luck, chance, or circumstance. I'm going to be honest with you. Like Thinking about my past and, and the way I've let things affect me, but yet... I have Christ, and the Bible commands me. It doesn't just say joy is possible always. It's actually a commandment to have joy. That means it's not optional. So as I stand here before you, this is a constant fight that I have. Some of you are more optimistic than others. I'm that glass half full guy. That's me. I'm a pessimist. By nature. In Christ I'm not, but my human flesh tries to pull me on the pessimist side. So one great thing, or 15 incredible things could happen. One bad thing happens, and then where does my focus go? The bad thing, right? That's me by nature. So I want you to know, I preach this sermon tonight, understanding the struggle. I understand I know where you're at. This commandment, which isn't that interesting, we're commanded to have joy. Paul is the one who wrote this in Philippians. Paul mentions mentions rejoicing, or he mentions the word joy, 14 times in the four-chapter book of Philippians. It's a major theme. You see it. Time and time again, rejoice in the Lord, joy in the Lord, over and over again through Paul's, through Paul's writings. But here's the thing about Paul. We talk a lot about Paul for good reason. But Paul had a lot of reasons not to be happy throughout his life. Even especially when he wrote this letter to Philippi, the church of the Philippians. When he wrote it, he had a lot of reasons not to be happy. Happy. When he wrote Philippians, we talk about this a lot, but Paul was in prison when he wrote this book. All right? And here's just a few things that Paul went through. And we've talked about this before, but just let me refresh your memory if you don't remember. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. This is what it says. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. This is what Paul went through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews... Forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, 
in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul's been through it. Paul was going through it. And although he was in the middle of all these things, he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Who's heard that all their life? Raise your hand. In songs, reading the Bible, rejoice in the Lord always. Just a few times he says this in Philippians. Let's read them quickly. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Philippians 4, 10 through 12. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. I know that to, how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know if in, in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty of hunger. Plenty, facing plenty and hunger, excuse me, abundance and need. Can we all agree? Paul had plenty to complain about. If you were Paul, would you be complaining? Would you be grumbling? You should be doing this. Yes, I would be. Yes, that is me. So how can Paul write this? How can Paul have joy when he has so many reasons not to be happy, so many reasons to focus on terrible things that are going wrong, when in fact he is devoting his life to Christ? He has devoted his whole life to Christ, yet he continues to face thing after thing, trial after trial, fire after fire. How? Good news, you can be like Paul, spoiler alert again, it's okay, maybe you're listening right now, and you can have joy, always. You can be like Paul, and you can have joy always. I want to speak to you, this title of this talk, Rejoice Always. I'm going to give you four reasons, four ways, excuse me, you can rejoice always. Sound like a plan? Are you sure? Say rejoice always. Say hurry up, Zach. Don't tell me what to do. Thank you. I don't know who that was. Oh. <laughs> he distorted his voice. <laughs> Pardon your French, sir. Just kidding. Four ways. Are you ready for number one? You're getting me off. You're getting me out, man. I'm trying to hurry up over here. Come on. I'm trying. You're hindering me. Get behind me, Satan. Number one. Just kidding. See, it's my fault now. Yeah. Understand that true joy is found in Christ alone. I've already said this. We'll say it again. You need to understand this. If you only get one thing out of this tonight, it is this. I hope you understand that true joy is only found in Jesus. True joy is only found in Jesus. And that is such a hard concept to grasp when we have people telling us, shoving ads in our face, 
over and over and over again, trying to tell us what would make us happy. If you'll buy this, if you'll do this, if you'll be like this, then you will be happy. It's really hard for us to understand in, in where we live in. Some of you have a lot. Some of you don't have as much. But you do have clothes on your back. You have shoes on your feet. And you're here. Not everybody in the world has that opportunity. What I'm trying to tell you is, is this. And I've said this before. But I'll say it again. Because I think about it often. And I hope that this sticks with you too. Craig Rochelle says this. He's a pastor. He says, you'll never know that Jesus is all that you need until He is all that you have. You'll never know. You'll never fully grasp the fact that He's all you really need. I hope you understand this tonight. That at the core of all things, Jesus is literally all that you need in true Joy, not just happiness, this goes beyond feelings. True joy is found in Christ alone. Number two, see I'm hurrying. Number two, shaking my head, because I'm wanting you to shake your head too. Number two, simple things tonight. Understand that everything in life can be turned for your good. We've talked about this before. It's in the Bible over and over again, a lot. Everything in your life can be turned for your good. The Old Testament is full of stories of people who hit rock bottom. They even mess up. And even though the pain and even though what they go through in and of itself is not good, God somehow is able through His power and His majesty and His awe and His grace, is able to take whatever you've been through, even what you're in right now, and He's able to turn it for your good. Romans 8, 28. We know all things, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. James 1, 2 and 4, count it all joy, rejoice always, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let patience have its full effect, steadfastness means patience. Paul did not, did he have hard days? Yeah. But he didn't just sit in prison and sulk and go, woe is me. He didn't just sit in his tears for years. That's not what he did. Paul took what he, what people thought, what those doing these things to him thought was bad, was going to take him down. He took and made for his benefit. God took it and turned it for his good. When he was in prison, he wrote letters to churches. He was still having his effect. He was still doing what he was called to do. He was still fulfilling his mission and his calling. And he, he wrote and wrote about wanting to go to Rome. 
He wanted to go to Rome. That's where he wanted to go. He felt the need to go there, the pull to go there. You know how Paul got to Rome? He got taken there and thrown in jail. That's how he got there. What did God do? He took what seemed bad and he turned it for his good. That's what he did. And that's what God will do for you. And I could sit here and I can tell you stories in my life, things that I've been through, and I've been transparent with you if you've been here. I've been through things and the way that God is able to turn it for my good. It's incredible. This isn't just something that's a thought. This isn't an idea. This isn't just available to some people. I want you to know this truth applies to you. This truth applies to you. I'll be fast about this. Two weeks before, and I've talked about this before, and I'll be fast about it. Two weeks before, three weeks before, my wife and I were going to get married, my parents started to have problems. And unfortunately, I, got, I was in a lot of the middle of that, not by choice, just by circumstance. And so, through a process from then, getting married, and then about a year and a half, a process of ups and downs, process of a lot of mess, and a lot of bad, ugly things, my parents decide they're going to get a divorce. And I was, unfortunately, along with my brother, as many of you have been, some of you have been, I will say. I hope you haven't been. But you've been drugged in the middle of that. And you've been put in the middle of that mess. And it is hard. And it affects you. And you, and you go through it too. It doesn't just affect your parents. It affects you. And I can't imagine because I was luckily 22. And some of you, none of you, are 22. Taylor Swift isn't even 22 anymore. Does she still sing that at concerts? I sure hope not. Anyway, it'd be kind of weird. Be really strange. She didn't think about that. But that was possibly the worst season, possibly the worst season of my life. But yet, God turned it for my good. I had to grow a lot. It forced me to grow a lot. My marriage got better, not worse. I got closer to God, not farther away. He turned it for my good. Understand, people. Understand, children's, God can turn anything for your good. He can bring something good out of the most ugly things. So you need to hurry up, Zach. I'm not going to ask that anymore. Number three. We don't rely on our own strength. Thanks be to God. We don't rely on our own strength. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're like, Zach, these things are simple. Okay, I say this a lot. They might be simple, but are you, are you living this out? Like, are you relying on strength that's not yours? There is no possible way that you can have joy at all times, through your own willpower. You cannot muster up joy. We must remember who we put our hope, our faith, our trust in. We put our faith in Christ and not ourselves. 
We need to rely on the Spirit of God which lives in us to give us joy. Remember I said towards the beginning of the sermon, joy is not a feeling. You know what joy is? Anybody know? It's a fruit. Joy is a fruit of what? The Spirit. It's the second fruit. Love, number one. What second? Joy. You guys remember that song? Go ahead. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Aren't you thankful for that song? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you joyful? We find the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I've preached, to, I've preached a sermon series way back about the fruits of the Spirit. One thing about fruit, you can't fake it. Have you ever picked up a fruit and then bit into it and it was fake? Well, it's not me because I don't eat fruit. So I was just trying to relate to somebody. You can't fake fruit. You can't produce joy on your own. So when you're having that moment, when you're having that day, when you're even when you're in the worst of the worst circumstance, you rely on someone whose power is unlimited. And you say, Holy Spirit, speak it out of your mouth. Don't mumble it. Don't be quiet about it. Don't, don't oh, say, Holy Spirit. <laughs> say it with confidence like you know who lives inside of you. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need joy. Does that mean you're going to be just happy? No. It means that even on the worst day of your life, you can find hope, you can find joy in the fact that you know Jesus and that ultimately you're going to be with Him forever. That's why we can have joy always. It's because every circumstance is temporary. Every moment is temporary. Every feeling is temporary. I don't know anybody that felt happy for 60 days straight. I, don't know, I want to meet that man or woman. Either one. I don't care. Either one. But there is joy in the fact we can find peace, we can find joy, we can be content, as Paul wrote, in the fact that this is just temporary. And that's my fourth and final thing, and I'll be done. We need to set our minds on things above. Colossians 3, 2. Set our minds on things above. I was sitting in the sanctuary the other day, Sunday night, and listening to the sermon. And this ball rolls down a bunch of aisles. I don't even know where it came from. Don't tell me. Don't tell on somebody, bro. It came from the Lord, yes. Thank you. It's the Lord. And I just watched it roll down and set like right in the altar area. It just sat there. And I was sitting there 
trying to listen. But I just kept staring at that ball. And I'm like, whose ball is that? You know, that's, and then, then, then you, you're like, come on, man. Who, who, and he was, of course, probably a little kid, maybe. Parker knows, apparently. Who threw the ball? Whose ball is that? And I just, I just focus on what was wrong. Like, that's not where that ball belongs. You get what I mean? And then I started to, th- I'm serious. I know this is one of those stupid sermon stories, but I mean this. I was thinking about this, and the Lord started dealing with me. And it's kind of strange, but I was sitting there, and he's like, you're sitting there staring at this small little thing that's this big around in this huge sanctuary where there's people and chairs and really cool carpet and all this stuff, and you're focused on the one thing wrong right now. Sometimes you just got to stop focusing on the wrong thing and start to think about the happy things, the good things. Set your mind on godly things. Stop focusing on the one bad thing. Focus on the good. Focus on the good. You're like, that's, that's easier said than done, but it is so possible. It is so possible, and it is true. That's why at the beginning of Philippians, Paul is writing, and he writes about, and he focuses on, go read it for yourself, he calls out, the good things in Philippi, not the bad things. Not everything was perfect. Not everything was peachy. The Philippians didn't always treat Paul the right way or do the right thing to him, but Paul decided, even though he was in prison and he had been through a lot of stuff, he focused on the good. That was his focus. Does that mean we forget the bad? Is that what that means? No. That's not what that means. What it means is, We set our minds ultimately on the good things, the God things. Because as I already said, and I'm wrapping this up, Paul wrote this. Let's go to God's word. Philippians, I'll I'll end with this. Philippians 1, 20 through 26. Philippians 1, 20 through 26. Pay attention with me if you would. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for it is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What's Paul say? Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, if I get to live... If I don't die in this place, that means I get to keep having fruits of the Spirit. I get to see fruit. I get to produce. I get to build the kingdom of God, to live as Christ. I am living my life for Christ, and I will do that, and I will build the kingdom until I die. 
to die is gain. When I die, I get to make it to my ultimate destination, heaven. You'll never know Jesus is all you have or all you need until Jesus is all you have. And if anybody was close to that, it was Paul. And he understood, ultimately, you are all that I need. You are all that I need. How do we choose joy? Understand, true joy is found in Christ alone. Understand, everything works out for your good. We don't rely on our own strength. We set our minds on things above. This is a better definition of joy. You want a better definition? This is joy. Joy is settled assurance, settled faith that God is in control. <laughs> what? What is God? I, think, I don't know. God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence, the quiet faith that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That is a better definition of joy. Joy is, is possible always. Joy is also a commandment. Now, that commandment, that, that call to always have joy can seem a little burdensome. But I want you to remember something. Joy is not a burden. It's a gift. And it's a gift available to you through the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to muster it up on your own. 